0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Ukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message. the two most misunderstood words in all of religion are faith and believe. Faith and believe. And Here's what I mean. In the real world, we know what those words mean. But for some reason, in the religious world, we misrepresent and misinterpret those words. For example, When you say that you believe in something or in someone in the real world, what you're saying is I saw something or I read something that was true, there was evidence, and this is why I believe. Or somebody who was there that was an eyewitness came to you and shared their experience. So you believe in something, you have faith in something because you saw something, you heard something, or you read something, and I would even go as far as to say you experienced something. But for some reason in the religious world, we change the definitions of the word faith and believe, and suddenly they're not based in evidence, they're based in feelings, and it's up to you to stir up faith or stir up belief. For example, have you ever struggled in your pursuit of God? I think the answer to that for everybody is yes. And maybe you approached a religious person or a church person or a Christian and you asked for help and they responded with these phrases like, well, you just got to believe or you just need more faith. If you were from the South, they said, you just got to believe, brother, or you just need more faith, sister, or you got to take it by faith. And the way that they respond to your struggle isn't helpful, is it? because they're telling you that you gotta stir up faith or you gotta stir up belief. They're not giving you the truth, the reality that your faith and your belief is based upon evidence of what you've seen or heard or experienced or read. And that's dangerous because it's not gonna be helpful in your better story and in your pursuit of God. And the first writers of the scriptures, they knew this. In fact, they would disagree with how we use the words faith and believe in our world today. John, who wrote five of the New Testament letters, spent three years with Jesus, talks about faith and belief in a very unique way. He talks about it the way that we've just talked about it in the real world, that faith and belief are based upon evidence of things that you've seen and heard and read and experienced. Frank Turek is a debater of faith and he helps people in their pursuit of God. And he has conversations about reason and logic and how evidence is so important as you take steps towards Jesus. And he said something that I feel is so appropriate for this conversation today. Frank said the reason why so many people are so easily talked out of Christianity is because they were never talked into it in the first place. And if you were ever told that you just gotta believe or you just gotta have faith The reality is this, that you were never talked into faith or belief in Jesus. You were talked into the emotion or the religious practice or the spirituality of faith. And if you find yourself in that category today, then this conversation will be so helpful for you. We're starting a conversation today called Irresistible. And we're looking at the story of Jesus through the letter, John, The true story of Jesus from the true relationship, friendship that he had with a real person named John. And John does something really fascinating in his letter. He talks about a lot of things, but one of the things that he talks about is how he came to faith, how he believed in Jesus. And he's very clear that he didn't follow Jesus because of faith. He didn't follow Jesus because he had some sort of belief. He believed in Jesus based upon what he saw and what he experienced. And those that were around him that followed Jesus, they chose to believe in Jesus because of what they saw and because of what they experienced. And then John, John was invited to write down the story of his interaction with Jesus, the true moments that he had with Jesus. And what I love about his letter is that he didn't just tell us what happened, but he helps us to understand why it happened. At the end of his letter, he gives us the big idea. He said in John chapter 20, verse 30, that Jesus did many other miraculous signs. We'll talk about that in a minute. He did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, the first Christians, the first followers of Jesus, that are not recorded in this book. In other words, there were so many things that took place that we would need letter after letter after letter. It would take up so much time. But John said, I was intentional in the story that I wanted to tell in this letter for one reason and one reason only. Here's what he said. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Like the goal of John in this letter was not so that you would just believe or have faith. The goal of the letter is to convince you that Jesus is who he says that he is and that he has done what he, will, he said he will do based upon the evidence. And you can see it, you can read it, you can hear it, you can experience it. But ultimately his goal is so that you would believe and have life. And who doesn't want life? Who doesn't want to live And the life that we long for? The life that you want that you're pursuing, that you desire is found in the person and work of Jesus. And for John, he says, I wanna introduce you to Jesus and I wanna help you follow Jesus. There was a sequence of faith uh, that helped him to come to faith. There was a sequence that he followed and, and it worked this way. John said, there was events and these events were interesting events with Jesus. And at these events, there was a sign something took place that helped us to begin to understand that Jesus wasn't just this ordinary human, but he was an extraordinary God. And that sign pointed to evidence that he actually is this God, that he's not just talking about it, but he's living it. And that evidence led John to believe and ultimately to trust in Jesus, to put his life in the hands of Jesus. He doesn't trust in Jesus and hope it all works out. He trusted in Jesus because of what he saw and what he experienced. And for John, he said, if this was good enough for me, I hope it's good enough for you. And that's why he writes this letter called the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And he organizes it around seven signs And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna walk through each of these seven signs so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and by believing, you may have life. Now, something that we gotta address before we dive in. John believed in Jesus based upon what he saw, but then he was invited to write it down because for you and for me, we're not there to see it but we are invited to trust in what John saw and how he cared for this message. And he does something unique in this letter that I don't want you to miss. When he talks about those incredible, spectacular, miraculous moments of Jesus, he doesn't call those moments miracles. He actually calls them signs because it was an announcement about who Jesus is and what Jesus does these supernatural acts and events were not jesus showing off or flexing on the fact that he was god or doing a random act of kindness these supernatural moments actually pointed to the identity of jesus and john's goal he does the best job that he can to help us not get so focused on the miraculous but to get focused on the one who is performing the miraculous event. That's why he calls it a sign. A sign that it is Jesus, that he is God, that he is the Messiah and that he has come to give you and give me life. So, let's talk about that first sign. It's really famous, even if you're new to church, you may have heard of the first sign, when Jesus turns water into wine. It's found in John's letter, John chapter two, starting in verse one. And if you're watching this on campus or if you're watching this online, the verses will be on the screen for you. But I would love for you to follow along. So grab your Bible or open up the Bible app to John chapter two, starting in verse one. And here's the story that John tells. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding also. Now, what you need to know about weddings during this time is that they didn't just celebrate on one day for a couple of hours. Weddings were massive events that took place over a few days, even a week or two. And these Jewish men and women loved to celebrate the gift and the privilege of marriage. And all the families would come together and they would cheer on the husband and the wife, the couple that was getting married, because they believed this was the gift that God had given them. And so here they are at this wedding, Jesus and his first followers and the mother of Jesus, Mary, is there. And then a problem comes up. Because isn't it true at every wedding there's a problem? This is why you have a wedding coordinator. This is why you have somebody to take care of those issues. Because you as the bride or the groom, you don't want to deal with that. You just want to enjoy your day because that day goes so fast. A problem comes up. They run out of wine. John tells us when the wine was gone, Jesus' mom comes to him and says to Jesus, They have no more wine. I find it interesting that that Mary knows that in times of crisis, and this moment was a crisis, in times of crisis, she can turn to her son. And John tells us that Jesus responds to Mary's statement. He says, dear woman, why do you involve me? Like that phrase, dear woman, sounds disrespectful in our culture, right? Like if you called your mom woman, you'd be grounded, right? Maybe get slapped in the face and then get grounded. But this phrase translated into our language literally, literally can be Jesus saying to his mom, Mama, Mama, why are you coming to me? And then he drops this line. My time has not yet come. Like he says to Mary, listen, I've come to save the world, not weddings. <laughs> like, like this is not, this is not the moment that I've decided to go public as the Messiah to, to bring wine to a wedding. Like why are you asking this of me? But Mary just kind of shrugs and smiles and in verse five says to the servants around Jesus, do whatever he tells you. And then she walks off because she's mom, right? And I don't care if he's the son of God or not. Mary asked her son to do something and moms, isn't it true? When you ask your kids to do something, they should do it, right? At Christmas time, my in-laws came over to celebrate the holidays. And then in a couple of weeks, they were going to come back to celebrate my mother-in-law's birthday. And so at Christmas, my mother-in-law and I are doing the dishes because that's one thing that I do in our home after our meal. And as we're doing the dishes, my mother-in-law looks up and above our sink in our kitchen is this light that we put in. And it has a glass case around it, really beautiful light. And we put it in when we first moved in about six years ago. But here's the thing. We haven't dusted it or cleaned it since we've moved in. And so as we're washing the dishes, my mother-in-law looks up and she goes, son, that light casing is filthy. It needs to be clean and you should clean it. Now, what I could have said to my mother-in-law is that your daughter, my wife and I, for the last 19 years have an agreement that there are certain things at the house that I do, and there are certain things at the house that she does. And every once in a while, we might cross workload, but we've decided there are certain things I do, certain things that she does. And we've done this for 19 years, and that rhythm has worked. And what I could have said to my mother-in-law is, Tiffany does the dusting, not Mike. But I didn't say that because it's my mother-in-law and she asked me to do something. And when your mama or your mother-in-law asks you to do something, you do it, right? And so after they left, I took the light casing down, I washed it, I dusted it, I cleaned it up, I put it back up, and then when they came over, just a couple of weeks later for my mother-in-law's birthday, She came into the house, didn't say hi to anybody, didn't give hugs, didn't give kisses. You know what she did? She walked right into the kitchen and she looked up at the light and she went, son, you cleaned it, I'm so proud of you. And I felt like the best son-in-law in in the world because I am, right? But when mama asks you to do something, you do it. And Jesus in this moment says, mom, why are you involving me? And she goes to the servants, hey, do what he says. And then she smiles and she walks away. Now you might be wondering, because I was wondering this as I've read through this story, like why did John start with this moment? Like why this sign? Why water into wine? And the truth is John believed that this was the best way to introduce Jesus to the world. And we'll discover that as we keep reading. In verse six, John writes this, that nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind that were used for the Jews for ceremonial washing. This family was a Jewish family and they practiced the tradition and the religion of the Jews. In the law of God, there was a very intentional practice of being clean, it was a way For the people to understand what god was doing inside of them by being clean outside of them and anytime you would eat anytime you would go somewhere there were steps there was a formula that you had to participate in to get clean and these jars were a part of that ceremony and jesus says hey grab those jars these icons of the Jewish faith, of the tradition of the Jewish people, the icons in the law of God, grab those jars. And Jesus decides to go public by using something that they've used for years, for centuries. Jesus decides to go public as the Messiah by using these things that he will eventually replace because of his death and his resurrection on the cross. He was pointing to something new that was coming. Like God's temporary arrangement was about to be made new because Jesus is here. And so he says to the servants, hey, fill the jars with water. And so they did. Theologian F.F. Bruce, he's a professor theologian. He said that the water provided for purification As laid down by the Jewish law and customs, the water stands for the whole ancient order of Jewish ceremony, which Christ was to replace with something better. Like Jesus has them fill these water jars like normal, but he's about to point to something even greater. Something better is here. And so they do. They fill it up with water, they bring the jars over, and then Jesus says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet, the dad. And so they do. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And John tells us that he didn't realize, the master, the dad, didn't realize where it came from. And don't miss this line. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew they knew what happened and so they may have stood there quiet respectful but with big smiles on their faces because they knew where it came from and then the master of the banquet says hey everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but now you've saved the best until now like normally what we do is at the beginning of this celebration we bring out this really good wine Then, when everybody's drunk, we bring out the 7-Eleven stuff, right? We bring out the the Food Mart, the Stater Brothers stuff, right? (laughs) No offense, by the way, to Stater Brothers, but we bring out the the cheaper stuff because they're drunk. It's not going to, they don't care what it tastes like, right? And now he's saying, but you bring out this good stuff now, you saved, and don't miss this, you saved the best until now? That's powerful because... That's exactly what God has done in this moment. God has saved the best until now. For centuries, there was this practice of being clean and finding forgiveness that was set up in the law of God, and it was good. But now, Jesus is here. And through Jesus, everything would be made new because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This moment is an announcement that something better has come. There was nothing wrong with what we did before. But what we did before was supposed to get us to now. And now Jesus is here. Friends, this is why this moment isn't called a miracle by John. This is why this moment is called a sign because this was pointing not to the miracle, but to the miracle maker, not to the miraculous, but to the most powerful example of God on earth. And that is the person and work of Jesus. That is Jesus standing right there. John wanted you to see Jesus, not the miracle, but the miracle helps to affirm that Jesus is who he said that he is, and he is going to do what he said he was going to do. John writes this, this was the first of his Jesus miraculous signs. And then I love this, Jesus revealed his glory. That's a really fancy church Christian sort of way to say that Jesus helped everybody understand that he was no ordinary individual, but he's an extraordinary God in the flesh. And then I love this and his disciples the followers of Jesus put their faith in him. Why did they put their faith in Jesus? Because of what they saw. Why did they believe in Jesus? Because of what they saw. And that began the irresistible story of Jesus in the lives of these men and women. Now, I already addressed it, but I want to say it one more time. We're very different than John and these first followers because John saw Jesus do this stuff. You and I, our faith doesn't come by seeing. Our faith comes by hearing. And what we're hearing and what we're reading is John telling us the story of what actually happened. And John, not manipulating the story, but sharing it authentically and with all genuineness, sharing about Jesus because Jesus changed his life and he put his faith and his belief in Jesus because of what he saw. And then he said, I gotta write this down so that you would know. And his invitation is, believe in Jesus because I was there and I saw this. Not just, you gotta believe, or you gotta have faith or take it by faith. John said, I was there. I saw the water turned into wine. I was there. And I know that it pointed to something greater, the forgiveness of God through Jesus on the cross. And I saw it. And that's why I believed. And I wanna invite you to believe as well. So believe what I've written down because belief and faith is based in what you see and hear and read and experience. John was so convinced that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he started off his letter with these words, the word became flesh. Like everything we've read about God stood in front of us in Jesus. Everything we've studied and been taught about God put skin on. It was God in a body standing in front of us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He decided to come and be a part of what we're doing. We have seen his glory we saw it we were there and we wanted you to know john thought that what happened in his lifetime was something that could change your life because jesus has come and john believed that he needed to get this message out that's why he wrote with a purpose and he gives us the purpose remember these things were written so that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and by believing you may have life. Friends, something better has come. Something better than just believe. Something better than just have faith or have more faith, brother or sister. Something better has come than you just being religious. Something better has come than you just being spiritual. Jesus has come. God is here. And he invites you to trust in him, not because of anything that you want to stir up in your heart or what somebody says to you. He invites you to trust in him because of what he's accomplished. You put your faith and your trust in Jesus because you see it and you hear it and you read about it and you experience it. And these first followers of Jesus wrote it down so that you and I would know that something better is here better than behavior. It's better than religious practice. It's better than spirituality. It's called a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's why this story is irresistible because God wanted to be near you. God wanted to be around you. And so God came. His name is Jesus. And He brings life when you believe in Him. And so my prayer for you as we begin this irresistible journey together, one that will lead us to Easter at Active, my prayer is that you would believe and you would have life, that you wouldn't call yourself religious or spiritual, that you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, that you would choose to believe in him, to trust in him, to put your faith in him because of what he's done. It was seen, it was heard, it was written about, it was experienced, and you can put your faith in him because you can read about it, you can trust it, and you can follow him. That is my prayer for you. God is here, his name is Jesus, and the way of Jesus is irresistible. And if you've ever been talked out of your faith, if you've ever been talked out of your Christianity, then I have an invitation for you. Don't miss next week. Let me pray for you. So God, thank you for sending Jesus. And thank you that we don't just have to believe or have to have faith or stir it up in us. We don't have to be religious or spiritual. God, you invite us to trust in you based upon what you've done for us. And so may we see it. May we hear it. May we read about it. May we experience you so that way we don't have to just stir up emotions and try to be godly and try to be like church people, but that we could be like you and trust that you're doing something in us and through us. May we walk in the way of Jesus. May we believe in Jesus. May we have faith in Jesus based upon what the evidence says about Jesus. And thank you for John who wrote us this letter to help us take a step and towards you and our pursuit of you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. Come on, everybody, together we say, amen and amen and amen. God bless you guys. i Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I want to invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.